The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Um, As I seem to be saying frequently, I feel like I haven't been here in a while, but it's probably because I haven't been here in a while. And suddenly, um, it's mid-July, and I honestly am not sure how that happened. Um, But I have a very important message for all of you rising seniors. If you have not started thinking about or working on your college process in any way, now is absolutely the time. And so with that in mind, we're going to be focusing our office hours segments this summer um, on things that you should be thinking about and doing, including getting started on your college list. Um, We're also going to be talking today about college payment plans, what the options are, um, whether how to figure out if it's the right choice for you. Um, but before we get to all of that, um, we have another in our long-running series taking you inside the admissions office at some of the different institutions where we have worked in the past. And I'm very excited today to welcome Lauren DiProspero to the show. Hi, Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. In fact, I feel like the last show I hosted, you were a guest as well. So, you know, now you're a regular and I love it. Yeah, Um, Yeah, me too. (laughs) All right. Well, so Lauren um, is, uh, the last show she was on, we talked about medical school admissions. That's because she's a former uh, admissions officer for the medical schools at both Stanford and Columbia. But she also used to work in the admissions office at the University of San Francisco. So today we are going inside the admissions office at the University of San Francisco. Uh, all right. So first question for you is around um, University of San Francisco's application process. So is, are they on the Common App? Do they have their own application? Tell me a little bit about how that works there. Yeah, the University of San Francisco is on the Common Application only. Um, so application, applicants will need to submit transcripts, uh, one letter of recommendation from your school counselor or a teacher in a core academic subject. Uh, the SAT or the ACT, they do super score the SAT, uh, and the writing section is not required. And then if English is not your native language, you need to submit a TOEFL score. Um, their website also has some helpful information about the academic criteria, and this can be important because um, some of the majors, like science majors and nursing, require courses like chemistry and either physics or biology, while other majors do not. Got it. Okay, so mm-hmm. very important step. And actually, I would say yeah. this about any school, right? You want to go to their website or on the Common App, you can click on and they will often provide you with some special instruction information. But when in doubt, go right to their website and make sure you know all the details about what you need to provide um, based on what you're applying for. So, exactly. I, you know, and when we talk about this process at other schools, you know, I, I always want to focus on, you know, what's important? 
um, are there what elements of the application are most important in San Francisco's uh, admissions process? So USF takes a very holistic approach. You know, they're really looking at each applicant's story, which is both um, academic and personal, when they're selecting for the freshman class. So in a way, that means that every part of the application is important. Sure. But, you know, I'd really say that the best place to really get to know an applicant is in the Common Application Essay and the USF-specific supplemental questions. Um, because you really get to hear the student's voice, and that's very important for USF. And I'd say remember that, that USF is a Jesuit school, which means there's a focus on social justice and educating the whole person, and I think that's where the essay really comes into play. They really want to know who you are and how they can help you find your passion. Um, I mean, after all, their tagline is, change the world from here. <laughs> and this right. might sound like you need to write a serious essay, but you really don't. Um, you know, the essay is really for the admissions officer to get to know you and what interests you, serious or not. Um, and I'd say another important part is the extracurricular list. And, you know, I would find at USS some students don't realize that they can list their jobs or significant family responsibilities in addition to, you know, things like French club or volunteering at an animal shelter. Um, because these two parts of the application really tell the admissions officer the story of you. And that's really something that's very important in USF admissions. Got it. And in terms of expectations on the transcript, what kinds of, you know, is this a place where they really want to see tons of APs and honors um, sticking with all five major subjects? Is there mm-hmm. room for kids who maybe haven't done as rigorous a course load? What are the, the general expectations? And, and I guess what were students who tended to be successful in that applicant pool doing inside the classroom? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, they, they, like most schools, want to make sure that you're challenging yourself to the best of your capability. So for some students, that is a heavy AP load, but not every student that, that got in had that heavy load. Um, I think, you know, as, as an industry, we tend to not like um, ratings um, mm-hmm. lists. But one of the ones that USF has always been proud to be on is an A-plus school, A-plus school for B students, um, which I think tells you a lot about how they're looking at academics and how they feel that you can be successful. So you don't have to be that 4.0 with six APs. You know, you can be a B student um, taking some regular, taking some honors courses. You know, it really is about your path um, and, you know, how you take advantage of what you can in high school. Right. And I do love that. I think some of my favorite schools are those A-plus colleges for B students because we tend to hear a lot about A students. It's what the media likes to focus Mm -hmm. on and those kids getting into all of the Ivies and all of that. But let's be real. That is such a small, tiny little percentage of the population out there. And there's so much more to our student population than, than just that. And getting B's doesn't mean you're not smart or um, don't have potential. Right. So it's nice to see a college that embraces that. Yeah. And Um, USF is, I think really about providing opportunities to students and seeing their potential. Got it. And uh, we love that. And I love that there are still so many schools out there that are really about helping kids develop their potential rather than expecting them to have already almost maximized their potential before they're even allowed to set foot um, on the college campus. So uh, I'm, I'm excited that we're talking about it. 
so let's talk about what happens and just the nuts and bolts of the reading process at the University of San Francisco. Uh, how does it work? We've talked about schools where there's a committee. We've talked about schools where maybe two people read the file and make a decision from there. Um, what's the process like there? Yeah, so when I was in the office, um, applicants were really mainly read by the admissions officer who was assigned to the student's state or regional location. Um, so they have a lot of autonomy to advocate for their applicants. There were some committee meetings, but the final decision was really um, in the hands of the admissions officer, um, which is nice. So if you, you find that student that you really want to advocate for, um, you know, you could probably make that happen and make that case for that student. Um, and they're also students, you know, they get to um, advocate for the students that they've met along the way. Um, so I think it's a right. great process that really works um, with the U.S. with USF's mission. And I think the message there to students who are listening and interested in University of San Francisco is make sure you show up if they're in your town and doing an event uh, because you could have the opportunity to meet them and potentially make mm -hmm. that connection. Or Absolutely. I, yeah, I mean, how important is, is visiting uh, in their process and, and coming in and having some face time at the school? Yeah, you know, it's, it's not as big as at some other schools, but we think we always thought that it was very important to see the campus and get a feel, to be able to talk to students, um, to hear what we had to say, to see the campus, which is very beautiful, <laughs> right in the heart yes. of San Francisco. Um, but it's not, you know, quite as big as some schools that say you must visit. Um, you know, we recognize that students come from all sorts of means and all different areas of the country and the world, and not everybody can make it to campus. Which is great. Uh, if they couldn't make it to campus, what were some ways that you saw students finding a, an, an opportunity to make the connection with you guys? Yeah, well, we would travel pretty robustly. So if we were in your area, the college fair is a great way to come and talk to us. Um, we had a few student ambassadors who also traveled for us. Um, you know, interacting by um, emailing us, um, calling us. We would have students answer the phone so you could get some great information directly from the students who, um, you know, worked in our offices and, and attended USF, who, you know, far, know far better than any admissions officer, no matter how well-trained and how long they've been there, what the school is really like. Um, right. So those are some key ways to, to get a sense of the campus. Yeah, and if you're having to write something about why you're interested in, in USF and you haven't had an opportunity to set your foot on, set foot on campus, some of those conversations might provide you with some details that you could include there or about why you were attracted to it. So, um, yes, so if you can't get to campus, those are some great things to do. What about the different deadlines available? Uh, you know, we have lots of schools out there with early decision or early action or priority opportunities. What's available at USF, and is there any special advantage in being in any of those earlier rounds, if they mm -hmm. have them? So, yeah, so they um, actually look at applicants for both fall and spring entry. And so for the oh, fall, cool. they have early decision, early action, and regular decision. So early decision and early action have the same deadline of November 1st, and regular decision is a deadline of uh, January 15th. And so for the spring, they only have one application deadline, and that's November 15th. And in terms of advantages between early decision versus early action versus regular, you know, I don't remember there to be a real statistical advantage. And, you know, I think it really depends upon where the student is in their process. So if they're confident that USF is their first choice and really ready to show it, then early decision is a great option. 
Um, but maybe your student's excited about USF but isn't ready or comfortable with early decision being binding. So then early action is a good time to apply. And sometimes students just need a little bit more time to create a compelling application. So maybe they need another semester of grades under their belt or more time to complete their application, or they still really are trying to figure out what the right school is for them. Um, so that's something that I really like, that I, I didn't feel like you had to apply early um, in order to get in. It was based upon where you are in the process and, and how you wanted to show your interest in USF. Got it. And for those students applying for spring entry, why would they make that choice, do you think? Or why did you see them making that choice? Um, you know, maybe students wanted to take a little bit of time off. Maybe they needed mm. to work a little bit before starting school. Um, you know, I think gap years are becoming more um, prevalent, um, certainly mm. not <laughs> among most of the population. Right. But they're gaining in popularity. And sometimes maybe taking a whole year is, a long time and one semester is, you know, a shorter amount of time to be able to explore that. So it was a variety of reasons why someone would choose a, a spring entry. Got it. Okay. So it's interesting that they have that opportunity. So something else to keep in mind, because it isn't something that I necessarily see a lot of, but, um, but it's right. good to know that USF has it. In terms of um, when decisions come in, um, we we definitely see students getting waitlisted. Sometimes we have students getting denied. Uh, maybe they feel that it's unexpected. <laughs> Either one. But <laughs> tell me tell me a little bit about the waitlist process. I know how it works at a lot of schools, but not specifically at mm -hmm. USF. Is it something like there's a specific order that the students are waitlisted in, or is it you know, and is it sometimes an active waitlist? Does it depend year to year? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, when I worked there, the wait list was pretty active. Um, and students, I don't remember them being placed in any particular order, but mm -hmm. I would say that the wait list does depend upon the school. So nursing is a highly competitive program. Um, so that wait list may not be as active as the wait list for, you know, the College of Arts and Sciences. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd highly recommend if you find yourself waitlisted to immediately send back the form um, that asks if you want to stay on the wait list. So you're showing your interest and then also mm -hmm. sending a letter with updates um, if you have any and explaining your interest in USF. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, lose hope if you are waitlisted at USF. As I said, it's a, a pretty active waitlist. Got it. And so the last question, I always think it's interesting to ask this, even though it's um, very few schools do offer one. But if you are denied and you do think it was that's not the decision you were expecting or you're disappointed and you're hoping to maybe appeal and have the decision reversed, do they offer any sort of formal appeals process? Did you ever see anyone appeal a decision uh, successfully? Just curious if that's something that, that you ever saw there. Yeah, well, um, when I was there, there was no formal process for appealing denies. Um, you know, I, I seem to remember there might have been a few successful appeals, um, but since there was no formal process, you know, it's worth an ask. You sure. never know if, if yeah. they're, they're willing to look. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of schools aren't, but, you know, why not ask the question? Yeah, and I think the key typically is if you think there was, if you really think there was a mistake or if you uh, have something that you need to show them that might change your situation a little bit, you, there may be more of a chance than otherwise. But to your point, right. why not ask? Exactly. Right. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today. It was really helpful and I feel 
even more prepared to help a student who might be applying to USF, and hopefully our listeners feel more prepared if they are planning to apply. So I appreciate it. Yes, thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, next up, we're going to be talking about college payment plans, so don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends, you set them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, and thanks for joining us for Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am super excited to welcome my colleague, 
Cheryl Hunt, who is a former financial aid officer at Chapman University and Azusa Pacific, and she's going to be here today to talk to us about college payment plans. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, and thanks so much for joining us. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit about this um, this in particular because I think a lot of times when people think about paying for college, they think, how can I possibly sit down and write a check for X amount, right? Whether you're talking $15,000 or $65,000 or somewhere in between or more or less, it's a lot for people to just write a check like that. And I think a lot of people feel rightly so that they can't do it. And so today we're talking about something that means you don't necessarily write such a big check all at once. uh, And that's college payment plan. So I think my first question for you is pretty basic. And that is, what are tuition payment programs or college payment programs? Sure. Well, basically, when you get that bill for twenty or forty thousand uh, dollars, being able to make the payments over the course of a year really makes things a lot more manageable for families. So, tuition payment plans are basically short-term installment plans that allow families to stretch their payments out over the semester or term, or even sometimes a calendar year. And it can really be a great option for students not receiving full financial aid to cover all of their fees. And Almost every school offers one, and if someone's unsure as to whether or not their school offers one, they should go to their website, and they can use their the school's embedded search function and maybe use the keyword payment or payment plan. And if the school doesn't offer a payment plan directly, they might be able to set one up through a third party and just to throw a few names out there, tuition pay, hire one, and even, say, tuition management services. Those are some of the big servicers. Got it. Okay, so that's great advice. I've actually never heard of a college that didn't, but let's be real, there are more than 4,000, so (laughs) that would imply that I had gone out and researched every one, and clearly I have not done that. Have you, do you see that a lot, or is that fairly rare in your experience? I think that most schools do actually offer a plan, either an installment plan or a deferment plan of some type. Sometimes it's not formal, but it's just Mm -hmm. an agreement that they have with the school. But most schools realize that students, oftentimes, especially at a higher-cost school, can't just write a check for that full balance for that term or for the full year. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Well, you actually just mentioned something interesting. Um, You threw out a deferred payment plan. So what's the difference between an installment payment plan, which is what it sounds like you were talking about earlier, and a deferred Mm -hmm. payment plan? Well, the installment payment plan really allows the families to pay their balance in installments throughout the term according to some specific payment schedules. And typically, a deferred payment plan really defers to... uh, it really implies that there's a deferred activation of the payment plan, and that would allow the students the opportunity to complete the financial aid process. So, for example, maybe they've been awarded an outside scholarship that hasn't come in or loan funds that they've applied for that haven't yet been dispersed. It would be an agreement that there is an understanding that although before the term the bill hasn't been paid entirely, there are these funds coming up, so they're actually kind of deferring that in a sense. So that would basically be the difference between the to. Got it. So in addition to not having to sit down and write out a check for a a large amount of money all at once, um, are there other benefits of using one of these programs, the installment or the deferred payment plan program? I would say probably the biggest would be 
in lieu of borrowing money to pay that mm-hmm. balance, oftentimes whether it's a parent plus loan or a private alternative loan, that if they can work it out where they're paying from their monthly income rather than taking out the, their loan, it really would allow them to keep their savings working for them rather than paying interest on money borrowed. And I think that that's probably the greatest benefit. Right, and maybe even just cutting back a little bit on some things that you maybe are normally doing and just sending that money to college rather than trying to come up with it right all at once. Um, That would seem to be a big one. Yeah, cool. And in terms of how these plans typically work, I feel like we've – You've shared a little bit. I just I don't know if um, there are more details that you wanted to share about how the plans themselves work. Sure. Yeah. Most of them, the the payment plans are interest free, which is great. There's usually an enrollment fee that is charged to enroll in the program, and I've seen it anywhere from twenty dollars per term as a setup fee, all the way up to a hundred dollars. And although that can sound like a lot, if you really were to look at interest that would accrue on a loan, it can be a lot less than you'd pay on interest. And most of the common payment plan programs will spread the payments in monthly installments. Other colleges, again, have deferred payment plans, which will allow them to make three or four equal payments during the term. And ideally, you should enroll in a payment plan a few months before the semester starts, but the exact timing really depends on your school. It's a very straightforward process, and the school, the process might vary by school by school, but generally speaking, it's fairly easy to look to see how the plan works and how to enroll. Okay, got it. Is everything covered in the payment plan, or does it only cover a few things, and there are other things you're going to need to think about paying for outside of the plan? Sure. You know, it's really interesting because often schools will, and I think we say this a lot about a lot of things that we talk about, it really can vary from school to school. But generally, it will include current term charges for things like tuition fees and maybe other miscellaneous semester charges on their student account. Usually, it will be those charges that are considered billable, which for some schools can also include uh, room and board as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. So the answer is, it depends, right? That is, we say that all the time (laughs) on this show. I say that all the time in my um, job of advising families and students. It is, I suppose, why we have jobs, because if the answer was black and white, then why would you need to listen to this show? It depends. Exactly. Exactly. Anything important to know? I know you mentioned you go to the school's website to find out more, um, but in terms of, so we have people listening saying, yes, this is what I want to do. How do they sign up for the plans? And probably more importantly, or most importantly, what's the deadline for signing up for these plans? Sure. Well, nearly all schools that I've come across have the option to enroll in a plan online through their website. And it will either be directly through the school or sometimes the school will use a third-party servicer. And so they will just follow the, the directions or the guidance that's given on that school's website. The deadline really varies school by school, again. Mm-hmm. And these it types depends. of plans are usually term-based, so families yep. will need to enroll at the beginning of each term and re-enroll for each subsequent term. So as an example, Stanford, the deadline to enroll for their installment payment plan for what they call their autumn term 
is July 15th with installment payment dates of July 15th, August 15th, and September 15th. So if somebody is interested in utilizing this, say, for this fall term, they should look immediately to see what the enrollment deadline is and then also what the payment dates um, that are spread out, what those dates are as well. Got it. Families, are they required to choose a payment plan? Maybe you can write the check. Do you have to let the school know that you're just going to write a check for the whole bill or... What what are any anything to know about that piece? You know, that family is not required to choose a plan. It's really an option available to families who can't write that check. So, because most schools require to pay your balance at the time of registration in full. Uh, if the family can't, then they would choose to enroll in the payment plan. So, no, families are not required at all. It's just simply, again, something that's being extended by the school to the family to kind of uh, make it a little bit easier for them to pay. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. So, let's say you choose a payment plan and you're chugging along and you're cutting your check, which is probably not insubstantial, even though you're cutting one check a month versus one big check. And you get to a month and you can't write a check that month. And is it possible to pay with a credit card for that month um, or even maybe make more of the payments on a credit card? How would that work? Well, at looking at a few schools, it really depends. Some plans won't allow payments by credit cards. And I think it's just kind of... Um, something philosophical where they don't want families to kind of incur this debt where it's just going to become a burden on a credit card. But there are schools that will allow, and sometimes if they do, there's usually a convenience charge of some type, and we tend to see that the average fee for using a credit card at some schools can be kind of in the 2 to 3% ballpark. And so for that reason, some families choose to have their payment automatically deducted from their bank account rather than using a credit card, if that makes sense. No, it does. I could see one, I suppose one other reason to to think about using the credit card is just if you're one of those people who hoards miles or wants cash back, maybe, right? And I guess then you just need to do the math and figure out, are the miles worth the extra percentage points that I'm going to pay just for the convenience of using the credit card? And my guess is the answer is no, and you'd be better off just paying for your, uh, for your airline tickets, but who knows? Um, and any anything else that you would want our listeners to know about payment plans that we didn't cover today? Sure. Yeah. One of the most important things is that you want to sign up early. So you got to do your homework to make sure what the enrollment due date is. Some plans start as early as May. And if you don't start paying right away, then you might have to make what we call catch-up payments. So that's one thing. Another would be to determine if the payment plan is for the year or per each term. And that can make a difference as far as having to re-enroll and also the enrollment term that they charge. Uh, Another thing that I think families might find helpful is that at many schools, a student is the one that actually signs up for the plan, but they can authorize a third party, such as a parent, to have access to the account. And then they will be able to make payments and oftentimes be able to sign up to receive payment deadline email reminders. So that's something I think that also is very helpful for others who are making payments other than the student themselves. Got it. So much helpful information here. Uh, I thought I knew about college payment plans, and as is usual with these 
uh, segments and interviews, I end up coming away with knowing so much more. So, Cheryl, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for asking me to be here. Absolutely. All right, we're going to go to break, but when we come back, Emily Toffelmeyer, my colleague and former USC admissions officer, oh, and by the way, a former guidance counselor, is going to join me for office hours, and we are going to talk about getting started on a college list. So if you haven't gotten started and you are a rising senior, you are not going to want to miss this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Aliens with Gas, we are the Extraterrestrial Rock Show, airing every Saturday afternoon on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel. <laughs> Whatever happens out and about, it kind of dictates our conversation. For sure. And we like to tie in a little bit of the past and obviously keep it real current. And real current was a couple nights ago right here in Phoenix, a phenomenon happened. On Thursday night. Phenomenon. Do, 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 do. <laughs> phenomenon. Do, 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 do. Phenomenon. Do, do. All right, never mind. <laughs> That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. 
Now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming back after the break. Appreciate it. Uh, As I mentioned before the break, my colleague Emily is here. She uh, used to be a guidance counselor, and she also worked at USC as an admissions officer, and that's the University of Southern California, not to be confused with the University of South Carolina, also a great school, but not where she worked. Hi, Emily. Hey, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. All right, so today we're doing office hours, and we are talking about getting started on a list. And for all of our listeners out there, uh, what we try to do in office hours during the summertime is really have um, our rising seniors start, if they haven't already, really start thinking intensively about this process and the things they can be doing from putting together their college list to writing their essays to completing the Common App and, and a lot of other things. So today we're talking about getting started on uh, a college list. And I think probably one of the big questions I often get from families, almost regardless of where they're at in the process, whether their child is a ninth grader or a second semester senior is, well, I, I want to put together my college list and how do I get started? So what is the first step that you suggest uh, when kids ask you that question or students? I usually suggest starting online. I figure there's a really good chance if you're a teenager, you are on a phone or tablet or computer <laughs> 90% of the time anyway. So I think it's the summer is a good time to put the technology to good use and really use all the resources that are online. And I hear from people, they get really overwhelmed all the different options online and how do you search for these schools and what do you trust? Um, And I think just starting with a basic fact website about colleges that has a built-in search engine is a great place to start. So I would say my preference is for Big Future, which is the section of the College Board website that is a college search engine, scholarship search engine, career search engine. Start there type in some info about what you want as far as major or location, whatever you happen to know, um, and just start that way. Just whittle down this huge field of schools into something more manageable. And if you use those criteria, I think then you can take this bigger list that you generate and go to websites like um, unigo.com or campustours.com and you know, combine the factual information you got from a big future or a Peterson's with these more personal insight type of reviews from students on Unigo, look at some pictures and virtual tours on campustours.com. So combine the more personal qualitative things you learn from those websites with the facts and the figures from sites like Big Future and Peterson's. Got it. And I think those those are all great suggestions and things I've had students do before. I, I think oftentimes the students that I'm talking to fall into kind of one or two categories. They either have no idea where to start, literally, they are, I have no college in mind, I, you know, I just don't even know how to think about it, or they have a list that they've been thinking about primarily because it's a list their friends have been thinking about, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, or, you know, they knew this kid who was a year or two older, and, and that student ended up at a, at a different, at a specific college, or apply to these five colleges and I really like him and I'm a lot like him and so I want to apply to these five colleges and so I, I, I think the interesting one um, one resource that you and I discussed before the before talking today on the show was the FISC guide. Um, what's interesting about the FISC guide is it's certainly not all-encompassing. It only covers about what 350 colleges? Is it even that many in the FISC guide? I, I am not positive. 
Um, There's something, but, something around there. But, yeah, it's a, it's a cool approach, a very narrative style to the college search. Exactly. So it's not going to be exhaustive. It's certainly not going to cover all 4,000 colleges that are out there. But one interesting element that it does have, so if a student has visited a college or two that they really liked, it will tell you some overlaps, right? So, oh, I really loved this school. You go to that school's page and it will tell you, here are some other schools that are kind of like this school. And that could be another interesting way to think about it. But you have to keep in mind that you're getting others' opinions, and what's nice about Big Futures is you're getting, it's a little bit more fact, factual, fact-based than, than maybe the, the, this guide, which is a little bit no, more of a, of a narrative, like you say, but also um, a good option for, for students. You, you mentioned a couple of criteria um, a minute ago that, you, that maybe students have in mind, uh, like major or perhaps area of the country. Any other criteria that students could sh and should consider to kind of whittle down what is probably going to be an initial list that is quite overwhelming in size if all they do is say, well, I want to major in X or I want to be mm -hmm. in this part of the country? Sure. And, and I'll say for major search, too, just to reassure the students who don't know what they want to major in, a lot of these search engines have major families that you can do searches for. So if you think, well, I think I want something in STEM, I think I want a science or engineering, I don't know exactly which one, then you can usually just search for a family of majors instead of narrowing it down to just one. Um, I think in addition to the area of the country, the different states you're open to, I think the type of location is really important. I think some students don't really fully think about what is my access to internships? Um, what is life like in the town outside of the campus? How far from home am I? Um, so I think not just where you are, but what type of setting you're in. I think the size of the school is important, but more than the size, it's looking at numbers like the average class size, teacher to student ratio. Um, if you get into, if you're really into digging deep on information like this, you can even go to university websites and look at their class schedules and see what a typical freshman class size is like. So if you feel like you're not getting enough information from a Big Future or a Peterson's or a Fisk, you can dig even deeper into individual schools' websites. Um, and I think school culture is important, too. Um, a lot of the search engines let you choose uh, whether or not you want a residential or commuter campus. So if school spirit is important for you, you want a residential campus. You're not really going to be happy with a commuter campus where students are leaving the school at the end of the day and going home to their parents' house or to another part of town. Um, yeah. And I think the school climate is important, too, whether it's political, socioeconomic, um, if they're open to diversity or different orientations, I think you need to look at that as well. And that will help you narrow down the school list if you feel like it's a little bit overwhelming at this point. Right. I, and I will tell you that um, just from my own personal experience of when I was putting together my own school list, which I will admit I didn't do nearly as well as I probably could have, but one thing I realized really early on is I, I thought I love the city. Um, I would still live in Manhattan if I could afford to, um, which, by the way, is, well, you don't reside in Manhattan, but you're in New York uh, City, mm -hmm. and I would still live there if I could. And I love um, the city, and yet when I went to look at NYU, for me, it felt too city. Uh, and I realized mm -hmm. in that moment that while I loved the city, it wasn't where I wanted to be for college. Instead, I was really looking for a campus where the everything there revolved around the college and not around, you know, I felt like in New York City, I was just happened to be at a building that was affiliated with the school versus 
on a campus um, where everything in it, that happened in the area would be all about that college. And that was something that I personally realized um, by visiting. Uh, at what point in the process do you encourage students to visit? And do you think, how necessary do you think visiting is to this initial pass of putting together the list? I think it's really helpful for the student who who is that type you described, who has no idea what they want, who they think they're right. open to everything, because you're not. You're not open to everything. You might say you right. are and that you're easygoing and that you don't care, but I think what's really happening is that you're probably a little afraid of making a decision, and you don't really want to do the hard work of the research. And maybe you are easygoing, but that also means sometimes you have a hard time just making a decision. Um, and yep. I think this is an important time when you do have to finally make a decision, or you're not going to end up in a place where you're happy and where you put a lot of thought into how you'd like to spend your four years. So I think a campus visit, if you can do it, is really important for those of you who feel like you have no idea where you want to go. Um, and, and no matter where you live, there probably within a couple of hours drive is some type of college campus. Um, so if you can, if you're lucky enough to live in an area like Boston or New York or Chicago or some parts of Texas or Florida, there's a lot of campuses you can get to really quickly. And so I would recommend that you choose a variety. You know, choose a small private school, choose a large public university, um, see a liberal arts college, see something urban, something suburban, something in a small town if you can. And I think that will help you get a real idea of what you want. So just like your visit to NYU showed you that it's a little too frenetic of a campus for you. Um, I think I, I, at USC, I think we saw quite a few students transferring from urban campuses like NYU because they had made a miscalculation about what it meant to be in an urban campus. They were maybe West Coast students who had an idea of what New York was like and maybe had been there on a band trip once in eighth grade. But when they right. actually got there and had the day-to-day -day New York life and running around with the groceries and the subway and eating out a lot, it was a little overwhelming for them, and they found themselves homesick for the West Coast. Right. So I think parents, if you're able to maybe work in some campus tours into a vacation, even if your student is only in 10th grade, I think you should take advantage of, of where you are and see the campuses uh, just to make sure it's a good fit for your student. And, and of course, you can save some of these for the spring. If you're a rising senior and you get some admission decisions in the spring and some of them are places you've never visited, then maybe you save some of your trips for your spring break. Right. I love that piece of advice about visiting whenever you happen to be somewhere. Uh, and certainly that's a little less useful if you're a rising senior and you are needing to put your list together now. But for those listeners, and I know we have lots of them who are either younger uh, or for the parents of students who are younger who happen to be listening, uh, you know, incorporating visiting colleges almost not into your daily life, that would probably be a little bit much, that would be letting this take over a little too much, but incorporating it into your thought process when you're thinking about, okay, well, we're going to go to this, we want to go somewhere warm for vacation, why don't we go to Miami and we can see a couple of schools while we're there. Uh, and you don't have to do a whole day, you could literally just go and walk around the campus. And um, I do find that the students that, who I work with who have the best sense of what is best for them are students who've seen more college campuses, whether it's just that they happen to live in an area with a lot of college campuses and so their parents have taken them to those places, just, you know, oh, we went to a basketball game at this school and I we went to a concert at this school, um, or who maybe saw some places when they were on a vacation or a family trip or even a school trip, although 
good point about just because you visited New York City uh, for a band trip in eighth grade does not mean <laughs> that you necessarily are well suited to go to college there. Um, very good point. Um, what do you? At what point do you include the "can you get in" um, question into the process uh, when you're thinking about putting together a list? Well, I'm pretty pragmatic in that sense. I think when you're really sitting down to do your research and make a list, I think you should pay attention to that from the start. Now, that doesn't mean that if you have a ninth grader and they're tagging along on an older sibling's trip to Princeton that you say, ah, this is not realistic for you. I mean, I don't think you need to be uh, quite that pragmatic. But I think when you're really ready to formulate the list and start writing schools down and doing some research, I think that from the start, you should look at where you fall in the applicant pool. And, and I, I don't think it's healthy to get excited about 15 schools. And then, and then you look at the admission rates and realize every single school you've fallen in love with is going to be a challenging school for you to get into. Yep. So I, I think yep. you should do that from the start. And a lot of the search engines have that as a parameter. Um, you don't always have to use it. But if you ever want to do a search and find schools where you are a likely admit or a target admit, uh, you can build that in as well. And I just think it will prevent some some disappointments um, and give you a more balanced list if you take into account admission statistics from the beginning. I could not agree more. Uh, I think that's really good advice. And it's lovely to imagine putting together a list without even worrying about that piece of it. But you really don't want to end up with what you were just can happen, right? You have 15 schools, you mm -hmm. love them all, and uh, wait, they're all 15 of them reaches. That's no good for anybody. This is the toughest, probably, in my mind, the toughest thing to almost find out or properly assess um, if you are a competitive applicant. And in addition to some of the resources we've mentioned, like Big Future and looking at the FISC Guide and... Um, places where they're giving you some averages, what is the the most important place that you like to send students to figure out how competitive they might be at a given school? I think going directly to the source here is really helpful. Going directly to the university's admission webpage and looking at their statistics, seeing if they have a freshman profile. A lot of schools will have a PDF you can download that tells you the average test scores and GPA for admitted, for enrolled, it tells you certain high schools send a lot of students to the school, um, different admission rates for different states or regions. So there's a lot of information on the admission websites themselves. So I think that's really helpful. Um, if your school happens to have the Naviance program um, as part of the counseling office services, I think that can be really useful. You can look at historical data for your school, even if your school doesn't have that. I'm sure there's some type of tracking going on at your high school, and you can talk to your counselor about if there are certain universities that tend to accept higher numbers from your school and if you fit that profile. And you can, of course, just talk directly to admission offices and to mm -hmm. admission representatives who you might meet at your high school or college fairs or on campus. But um, I think it's, it's careful. you have to be careful how you phrase it. Um, I, I don't think any admission representative likes to be asked you know, how do I get in? Or here's my GPA. Here's my SAT. What are my chances? Yeah, um, that's there's not, not there's not a crystal ball for that. Now, for some universities, there there is. You know, there are some public universities and foreign places as well where you can just say, here's my GPA. Here's what I took. Here are my test scores, and they can pretty plainly tell you whether or not you're going to be admissible. But for yep. private colleges and for more selective schools, 
it's impossible to say. Nobody can just hear your numbers and say yes or no. So if you are at a fair, never walk up to an admission rep and say, here's my numbers. Could I get in? Um, I think instead, <laughs> I don't. instead you can say, you know, how can I be more competitive? What are the most important factors at your school? Because some schools are more focused on test scores and grades. Some are more focused on the holistic review. Um, so you can just ask, what can I do to be competitive? What are you looking at? That's kind of asking the same question, but phrasing it in a much more admission representative friendly way. Right. I don't know. There is something about that question where you say, here's my GPA, here are my test scores, can I get in? That is just little bit nails on a chalkboard, and which is not totally fair because the fact is that is really <laughs> what everyone's trying to get at. And I think the big challenge mm-hmm. is what comes up so frequently on this show and in the work we do, which is it depends. And there are so many schools where you could give them your GPA and your test scores. And even if they are GPA and test score driven, they still might not be able to tell you because they still don't necessarily know the courses that you took or um, maybe they're looking for a few extras and they don't know if you have those. So um, Mm -hmm. I think that's a really, a really good point. So we have, um, in terms of some of the stickier things, like a student who is either, you know, I have those kids. I'm open to anything. What do you do when you when that kid is in your office, and and what do you say to them if they say I'm really open to anything? What do you what do you suggest? <laughs> uh, well, first I would say no, you're not. You're not actually yeah. open to everything. Um, And I think you can give them some extreme examples. Like if your student says, I'm open to anything, and they're a liberal Democrat from Boston, you know what? If I sent you to Liberty University in Lynchburg, Mm -hmm. Virginia, probably not going to be a great fit for you. Um, Or the NYU thing is a great example. You know, if you're growing up on a ranch in Montana and love the great outdoors and see yourself working in agriculture in the future, and you said you're open to anything, and I suggested you went to NYU or Fordham, no, you're not not really open to everything. So I think for some students, it's as simple as starting with the negatives. Just what do you know you don't want? Do you know you yep. don't want a city or you don't want a Catholic college because you spent your life in Catholic school and you want to do something different now? That's a starting point. That's going to help you, even on these search engines, just narrow down your parameters and get to a more manageable number. Um, so, again, though, I do think that the visiting the campuses is a good place to start with these students. Um, and I think just if you're a parent, just talking to your child about your college experience and how you decided. And I know it was much different uh, for a lot of parents 20 or 30 years ago, but talking to um, siblings of friends who are a little older, uh, talking to counselors, talking to teachers about their experience. I think just having conversations and being blunt with them about what they probably don't want, I think that is just a way to kind of crack the door open to get them on the road to doing a little more deeper thinking. A little bit more focused. Emily, thank you so much um, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And thanks to all my guests for joining today. Next week, Ian is here. He's hosting. He's going to have a special guest, Maria Furtado, joining us from Colleges That Change Lives. Um, We're also going to be talking about trends that we saw in admissions this past year. Uh, And then finally, we're going to look at, can I get a college loan with bad credit? And if so, where can I get it? Um, If you have questions for us, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Visit our archives and our blog. Don't forget I have this great Huffington Post series going on, although I need to update with a new new segment. Um, But we also have lots of great free ways to interact with us. Our website, getintocollege.com, our blog at blog.getintocollege.com. 
We're on Pinterest and LinkedIn. Um, and we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.